Welcome to Old Eyes, New Glasses, a podcast about relationships, family, and how emotional intelligence impacts our lives. My name is Avery Baker, and my dad is Brian Baker. It's a family joke that he's got the old eyes and I've got the new glasses, and that's how we got the name of our show. Together, we are the only father and son inspirational speaking duo on the circuit. This podcast is an extension of the messages we share with audiences we speak to, ranging from thousands of people at national conferences to high school gymnasiums with 1,200 students. Get ready to listen to some of the most dynamic, the most unique, and the most inspirational cross-generational conversations you've ever heard. Okay, so today we want to discuss a topic that is really relevant um, to the times. But let's be honest, it's been relevant in the United States of America since its existence, and that is racism. And I say it's really relevant to the times because we are recording this on May 28th, 2020, and uh, we've all recently witnessed the murders of Ahmaud Arbery. Um, We witnessed the murder of George Floyd. Uh, We heard about the tragic murder of Breonna Taylor, who was an EMT worker in Louisville, and police raided her home looking for the wrong person. They didn't even go to the right residence, shot up the place, um, killed her. We've seen the, um, the unmitigated gall of a woman in Central Park that uh, threatened to threaten a black man to call the police and lie and tell the police that a black man was attacking her, or I don't know exactly the word that she she said, but um, yeah. So these events have been um, popping up more frequently uh, lately. I, I guess I should say they've been captured on camera yep. more frequently lately, and so uh, we decided to jump on and record uh, an episode really centered around um, racism in our lives and how it's impacted our relationship as father and son, as two black men in America, one being 56, one being 24. We each have our own individual, but we also have some shared experiences about how we've dealt with racism and we've been encountered with racism. So with that being said, Pops, welcome on. How are you doing today? I'm good, bro. How are you? I'm doing okay. You know, I think um, like a lot of people, uh, I'm feeling torn right now. I'm feeling kind of all different type of ways from mm-hmm. uh, fear to anger to frustration, sadness and madness, um, all of the above kind of in a, in, a, um, in a tornado yeah. of emotions right now. So, so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Um... You know, it's another it's another week of reminders that we have a long, long way to go um, in in this country and in humanity. Uh, when you see the things happening that are happening, and it's you know, for a lot of people, it becomes you get numb to it. Uh, you know, and I'll say a lot of people, a lot of people who perhaps aren't black people, get numb to it. But you know, as black men you know, you get, you get tired of it. You get tired of, of seeing it. And particularly when it comes to being taxpaying citizens, you know, you get to, to the point where it's like, you get tired of paying people to kind of whip your ass or, or mm-hmm. to kill you. 
mm-hmm. and when you're supposed to protect and to serve. And, you know, I've known a lot of law enforcement um, uh, people in my life who have relevant, uh, relatives who are law enforcement. And so is this every law enforcement officer? Absolutely not. Just like, you know, there's, there's good people in, in every ethnicity and there's bad people in every ethnicity. But at the same time, it comes a point where, you know, you want the good officers in law enforcement to uh, step up to the plate and begin to weed out the bad apples in law enforcement. And you're not seeing that. And so, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a rough week, rough week. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously social media has been um, firing on all cylinders because um, when you see these videos, I mean, there, there's just been, you know, so much revealed in the last two weeks. And I think the, the really tough part is just how, um, how it feels like it, these events just are compiling on top, like they're, they're increasing um, in numbers. And again, I, I, I want to say that really it's just uh, our access to um, capturing these moments on camera. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I do want to, I want to share a couple of the things that I have seen on social media over the past few days, things that people have been saying that, that I think um, shed light on some really um, interesting things. The first one uh, is a tweet that I saw. It said, being black is having a good day and then seeing another black person was killed for no reason. Then you have to think about slash talk about that all day mm-hmm. or don't and numb yourself. It's a constant emotional war. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you were just talking right there, that I, I thought about that tweet because you're right. Like, I have a lot of friends that um, that have witnessed these videos, and I have some friends, some black friends that are like, I don't need to see another black person get killed. Yeah. And so it's that really, um, it's that tough pull of of your your values, your morals, your emotions, when you continue to see people slain. And then there was something else that was very interesting. People were bringing up the fact that stop showing these uncensored killings on the news. I mean, if they were a white person that were getting murdered like this, they'd be blurred out. They'd be um, prefaced and with a disclaimer talking about, um, you know, the scenes that you're going to witness are very graphic. Um, you know, we, we refrain from showing the full scene in, in detail. Yeah, but in, in fairness, I mean, there are news organizations that have done that and, and do uh, do that. You know, I, I'm not quite sure that I'm, and again, I don't, you know, I don't know who, who you know, your friends or whoever has said this. Everybody has their opinion on that sort of thing. I mean, it is hard though, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to hear a 46-year-old a, a man um you know beg for his life and then you're looking at the person who's got his knee on his neck that but that basically is acting like you know he's uh putting an animal to sleep uh with with no sort of 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 emotion kind of like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna show you type thing so there's part of me that um there's part of me that that america needs to see that that America needs to, you know, uh, understand that Americans need to understand. And it's very interesting as we're living through this coronavirus situation right now where 
we still have um you know orders to be um you know as the as as the states are are uh, opening in different phases you know most people are at home and so most people are forced right now you know to to see this on their television screen and that's the only way this is going to change the only way it's going to change is for good people in this country uh, 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 more good white people in this country to just say you know enough uh is enough of this and you know we 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 don't have the time to dive as deep into this as as we probably could um but maybe we, we do a part two on this i don't know yeah but the reality of it is, is that like the only way this is going to stop is for good people in this country, good police officers, good white citizens, you know, that, that know this is wrong to really speak up in force about it. But the, the thing, before we move on here, the thing that really got me this week in, in watching um, the gentleman lose his life in, in Minnesota is that as a 46-year-old man, you know, he called for his mother. Yeah. And that broke my heart to yeah. hear a 46-year-old man call for his mother because what was happening to him was, was bringing out the inner child in him. Now, that's, that's me. That's how I viewed it. It was like, you know, mama, this person is hurting me. Please help me. Mm. Right? And that tore me up because the fact of the matter is you're talking about you, you, you look at it, I looked at it in the context of like, here's this grown man, you know, killing this child because that's how he was treating this grown man as a child. Like, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to show you. And so when it all comes out uh, in the wash and it's said and done, you know, this gentleman certainly didn't do anything to warrant um, that type of reaction from law enforcement and at the end of the day until law enforcement officers who commit these crimes are treated like the criminals that they act like and I've always believed that you know law enforcement officers who act like criminals are worse than criminals that because they have the badge and 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 they're using it to act that way and so um yeah it's it's uh it's a reminder of a, a long long way that we have to go uh, in this country, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you. How do you want to proceed on this? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump into a, a question that I have for you. The only thing that I do want to make a remark on is I absolutely hear you that um, a lot of people need to see just the length and the level of violence that is created. Um, but I would also argue that it is creating a desensitized nation to some of these horrific events. And whereas now we're seeing so many people slain so often, um, I'm afraid, I guess, I'm afraid, that's all I'll say is that, that um, people are becoming desensitized to the fact that, um, yeah, like these, these are not normal incidences. These should not be treated as, oh, just another police brutality. Like these are, you know, these, each and every single one of these, like you said, these are criminal acts. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the, and I, I agree with you. I think it's worse because um, these <clears throat> police officers are, are able to hide behind the badge and they're able to legally carry a weapon that kills people. And so to not have um, a higher standard for these individuals, but 
Um, that's my only thing I'll say yeah. is I'm just kind of I'm I'm a, I'm a little concerned that as a nation, as a as a culture, um, we are becoming a little desensitized. So we can move well, on. Let, from let, that. Let, me, let me add this one last thing before you go on. But I I don't disagree with you on that. But I think that we've become we've become desensitized about a whole lot of things over the past correct uh, uh, you know a, a decade or two. I mean. You know, me and you have had this conversation about video games for, for a long time. I, I've never been a big video, violent video game uh, uh, proponent. I think that people sit their kids in front of video games, don't even uh, necessarily monitor the video games that they have. It's just a good way to, you know, to have your kids be babysat while you go off and, and do your thing. And so you got kids, you know, from a very early age, you know, that have access to, to, to these types of of things that that demonstrate this violence and on these games they're you know they're committing acts of violence even though they're virtual they're games i get that part of it but you know we always talk about you know the, the explaining um to people in your relationship the re the rationale and the why behind actions that you take or what you do and you know if you don't as a parent sit down and explain you know uh things to your child via video games or just let's be honest maybe just like ban your kid from playing violent video games i mean i think that that i think that that desensitizes a lot of people too yeah. um at a very very young age and so you know there's responsibility that, that has to go all around uh you know for stuff like that but um yeah so i don't disagree so, with you but i just yeah. think that it's it's just starting very early in america and um and it's a shame because, you know, we have a, a big hole to dig ourselves out of uh, moving forward or, or um, you know, I'm afraid, I'm afraid for where the direction this country is headed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we want to touch on a personal note uh, on this subject matter. And so I want to ask you, Pops, to kind of, I guess, outline some or highlight maybe some experiences in your life mm. that um, have had a profound impact not only on the way that you've conducted yourself but on the way that you've that you decided to raise both your boys mm -hmm. knowing that you had to raise two black men mm -hmm. what what are some I don't know if I want to ask you for incidences or events or just pieces of knowledge that you had or you received growing up that has mm. uh, translated to you teaching your own? Yeah, I mean, you know, incidents and events, we don't have enough time to go into those. You can ask uh, almost every black man in America, uh, you know, my age to reel off things that have happened in their life from a, from a racism prejudice perspective, man. And we, we can go on and on and on. But, you know, one, one, some of the things I really remember, one, the first story that I remember hearing from my grandmother uh, when I was younger, I must have maybe been about 10 or 11 years old. And um, I was at her house and it was like a family gathering, but it was a, just a, a few people talking in the kitchen and I was sitting in the kitchen and my grandmother was recollecting when my father uh, was about 12 years old. So Pops was born in 1938. 37, I'm sorry. So he must have was in the mid 40s, right? Mid to late 40s when this happened. Um, you know, he grew up in Chicago. They lived in Chicago. In Chicago, like 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 all of America, very segregated at that time. 
Uh, and uh, there was a beach on the south side of Chicago that, um, that, that black people would go to occasionally, but not that often. This is the story I'm hearing, not that often because there was still, you know, uh, anger incident, angry incidents happening. So anyway, they were at this beach and she was telling the story to a friend of hers uh, when my dad was 12 years old, um, you know, this group of, of white men came over to them and, and told them to vacate the premises. And, you know, as they were picking up their stuff and, and kind of leaving just from a safety perspective, uh, one of the guys uh, hit my father in the face with a, a tire chain and, uh, and busted, up his, busted up his lip, busted up his face with it. So I never forgot that. I was a very early age. You know, I'm sitting up here in the mid 70s here in this early 70s, I guess, or mid 70s here in this from my grandmother. And, you know, growing up in, in Oakland, uh, you know, Oakland was one of the more um, integrated cities um, in America to grow up in in the 70s. And so, you know, I had never experienced anything like that, um, you know, anything that blatant. And so but I never that always was etched in my mind. And so as I got older, and started having conversations with my father about things. He, you know, he, he told me about that incident. He wasn't in the room at, at the time uh, that I heard it from my grandma, but he told me about that incident. And then he told me about, you know, many more incidents after that, that he experienced uh, growing up. And I'll never forget when I was maybe about eight or nine years old, uh, being in a, in a diamond dollar uh, store in Oakland, um, going to get some, some candy and some bubble gum. I'm walking around the store and a lady is following me the whole time and it was freaking me out and I did not know like why this was happening I'm like eight years old and I'm just trying to get some gum but I'm walking around the store I leave the store I go home and tell my father about it my father puts me in the car we go back to the store Hmm. and uh he tells me to point the lady out I did and we went up to the lady and and basically my father kind of read her the riot act about Hmm. uh you know following me around the store and and uh you know if you ever see this young man in your store again um, he's not here to steal anything. You can rest assured of that. He'll only be in the store if he's been given money by me or my wife for him to be here. But if I find out that you have followed him again, uh, if he comes into the store, we're going to have a more difficult conversation than the one that's happening right now. And so, so, you know, with stuff like that, when you're young, you're kind of like, oh, okay, cool, Pops, thank you and everything. But it's not until you get a little bit older, you begin to realize you know, you know why somebody's following you around. You begin to realize, you know, as you start driving, like, you know, why the police are, are, are telling you, uh, you make a right, they make a right, you make a left, they make a left. Um, subsequently, you know, sometimes you get lit up by the, by the sirens. Other times they'll just pull off after just following you for a few minutes, you know, freaking you out. And I, and I got to be candid with you every single time to this day in my mid fifties, if the, if the police are behind me and, uh, you know, I get lit up for some reason and, I, and every black man will tell you this. You have the reaction like, you know, oh shit, like, you know, the, the, you know, what's about to go down here? Or you get that, that swallow in your throat of kind of like, okay, like, you know, let's just make sure that this doesn't go sideways, right? Not because of anything that I have done or that you've done, but because of the reaction that you may have from this law enforcement official. And so the last thing that I will say to you uh, about, about that and kind of what has, you know, what led me to to um to parent you guys the way that i did um when i was 20 i think i was 27 me and your mom married maybe about a year 27 years old i was working at a bank and um 
you know, I was on my way to work in a, in a suit, nice suit, uh, stopped at the grocery store on the way. Now this is a grocery store that I had been shopping at for more than 15 years. Um, you know, in the neighborhood grocery store. And all of a sudden I'm coming out of the grocery store to get in my car and two police cars pull up, get out of the car and say, you know, sir, put your hands up, you know, please put your hands up right now. And two more police cars roll up. So I got like four police cars on the scene. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I'm on my way to work, stop to get something to eat at the store. And then subsequently two more police cars pull up. So like six police cars. And they, 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 they tell me, um, you know, one of them had their hand on, on his gun. Other one was just telling me to put my hands up. Um, I said, what's going on? They told me that uh, there was a report that there was a, an attempted robbery in the grocery store. Now I'm sitting up here in a navy blue suit <laughs> on my way to work, right. right, at a bank, at the store that I've shopped at for 15 years. Every clerk knows me, every management personnel in the store knows me. And so I just said, okay, did they describe the person as a black man with a navy blue suit on? Because I'm not really understanding why we're going through all of this. Why would I rob a store in a navy blue suit? And it's a store that I've shopped at all of my life. Can we kindly just go in so we can see the clerks? They all know me. The managers know me. So we can get this out of the way. I need to go to work. They kept me there, man, for like 30 minutes. Hmm. And it was just, you know, it was BS. It was over nothing. It was flexing. It was just trying to flex authority, flex some sort of, uh, supremacy. I, 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 I thought years later that all it was was they were probably sh showing a rookie or two, like this is how you, you mess with people, uh, uh, black people, black men, you know, to just flex on them. And so that's kind of stuff is bothersome. Fortunately, I was raised by two parents that were very um, uh, grounded uh, in their teachings in terms of how we deal with other people. Uh, not to broad brush anybody. I never wanted to be broad brushed. And so that's kind of how I taught you guys. And that's, that's kind of why I would, you know, grind on you guys when you were younger. Uh, I'll let you talk about a Brian Bakerism or two uh, that you remember, but or even in, in the book that we wrote, when I tell the story about when you first got your driver's license, it's something that's that every black man in America who has children has to have that conversation. Like you have two conversations with your kids, right? Whereas a lot of ethnicities, men have one conversation with their kids when it comes to like, you know, sex, you know, when kids are becoming teenagers and everything. Yeah, you have that conversation. But as a black man, you have that other conversation of like, you know, what do you need to do if you encounter law enforcement? Mm -hmm. And how do you need to comport yourself? And what are the things that you need to do to make sure that you don't get shot or killed um, so that you can come home that night? And it's some painful, um, it's a painful discussion that you have to have as a black person, but you have to have it. My, my father had it with me, you know, I had it with you guys. And so, you know, that, that conversation will happen with black men and their children for the remainder of the time that the United States is existence and black people are in the United States. You have to have that. It is, it is, it is, it's a natural. It's a lifesaver. It is, it's a lifesaver. So, um, I've, I've gone on for a bit, but, uh, um, yeah, it's, 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 it has a profound impact on your life. I will say this last thing. I, mm -hmm. I see that, uh, there was some, some looting and some vandalism going on down uh, yesterday in Minnesota. And I hate to see that because I think it takes away from, um, the issue at hand. Um, but I understand it. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't condone it. 
but I understand it because what people that are looking at that from the outside in don't understand is like, yes, you saw a video of this man getting killed the other day. What you haven't seen for the last few centuries is that this stuff goes on all of the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you have people in, in communities, you know, who've gotten their behinds whipped by police, you know, often or have had people that they've known, mm -hmm. uh, family members that they've known, gotten their asses whipped by the police often. No record of it. No report. No anything. No and public this, outcry. This, yeah, this has been happening forever. And so when we talk about mental health issues in the United States of America and we talk about trauma uh, that goes on. There are so many African-American young people who are traumatized in the environment they, that they live in, not solely by law enforcement, the environment itself, you know, but the fact of the matter is when it comes to the law enforcement thing, there's a bunch of trauma there that, that, that most people don't even understand exists. You should not be fearful of police officers, but as black, black men, black people in this country, um, you are fearful of them because there's a, a, a massive lack of trust and for good reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that violent history, I, I think um, my roommate's dad said it best when he said a police officer is just another person with a gun. Mm. And that is the level of distrust that um, that sits with with Black people. I don't view them as a protector. Who are they serving and protecting? Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of just have never felt that innately just because of what I know, the experiences that you've shared about yourself, about my grandfather, about the history of law enforcement in America, and then my own personal experiences mm -hmm. and the way that, yeah, every, um, every encounter is hostile, mm -hmm. uh, hostile. Um, every encounter uh, seems to be like, this is on edge. Like there is no, you know, comfortability between either parties here. And so, um, because you're a criminal to a lot of to a lot of law enforcement uh, as a young man, they don't know that you um, that you have a degree. They don't know that you've never been in trouble and have never been in trouble with the law. You've never been arrested. They don't know that. Um, what's that? That they assume. Well, yeah, of course they assume that they don't, but they don't know these things, right? They don't know um, that that um, that that you work, um, have worked uh, within the church, um, helping people. They don't know that you deliver, you know, food to people in need and feed feed people that are hungry. They don't know that um, they don't know that you work for a city council person. Right. Uh, you know, so they, they don't know that you've that you've been able to, you know, study in another country and travel abroad and that you know that you're they don't know any of that. They assume, as you said, that when they roll up on you, that it's like, OK, like here's a young black man. I got to treat them hostile. Or I have to treat them in a particular way with suspicion. And I understand law enforcement. They're trained to, 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 to treat people with suspicion oftentimes. But the fact of the matter, they don't see you as their son or their nephew or their grandchild. They don't see you that way, um, even though, you know, you probably are more accomplished than a lot of the children that uh, in their families. But they don't see you that way. So they're not going to treat you that way. And it's unfortunate. 
Yeah, no, totally. Um, it is. And, um, you know, on a, on a personal level, I think that growing up in, uh, it starts with me in, in school early on and being the only black kid in class because, um, because of the school that I went to mm-hmm. and dealing with the microaggressions that, that come with being the one kid or the one of two kids of color uh, in the class. And so from as early as fourth grade, you know, when we're learning about American history and you learn about slavery and you feel all the other students in the class look at you when slavery is discussed and you don't really necessarily know how to process that. Um, And it's like one of those things that, damn, as you get older, you realize like, oh, okay. So like being singled out like that, like it, not knowing how to process it, but knowing that it happened and knowing that you felt that um, creates just a level of like, just like angst. And you're like, oh, okay. Like you're, you're, you're an outcast. You're like immediately pointed out as different as the other. Mm-hmm. And then um, not only to get that from the students, but then to get that from the parents as well, um, especially the parents of the white girls, which is why the Amy Cooper thing, who's the woman in New York mm-hmm. that um, was lying her ass off because her dog was off the leash in Central Park. And there was a bird watcher named Christian Cooper. Ironically, they had the same last name. Um, and you know, he asked her to put on, put a leash on the dog because um, it's just, it's a law in the park to have a leash on your dog. And so when she didn't, and she was uh, rebuking him, then he starts filming because she gets hysterical. And she's Mm -hmm. like, please leave me alone. Please leave me alone. And then she's like fighting back tears. And first of all, nothing has happened. Nothing has occurred in up to this point, besides this gentleman being like, Hey, can you put your dog on your leash? Like, can you follow the rules? Can you follow the rules? And so then she gets to a point where she says, I'm going to call the police and tell them that a black man is harassing me. Which lets you know she knew exactly what she was doing. Exactly. Exactly. She was weaponizing her whiteness. Mm-hmm. And so um, growing up in that environment, growing up, going to private school for part of my life, um, being the overwhelming minority in a lot of my classes and, and most of my classes and then being in a private school, going to school with little white girls and seeing the microaggressions from their dad taught me very early on that like white girls are off limits, you know, like even as friends, I was very hesitant to even befriend white girls because I didn't want to deal with that issue from their dad. I didn't want to continue to even be acknowledged by their dad that, you know, who knows, um, it's, it's just fucked up because I feel like um, I've been in situations where had I looked at somebody's daughter the wrong way, it would have been a problem. Mm. And, um, and so me being the non-confrontational person that I am, that, that totally forced me to kind of become, a, to go into a shell mm. as a kid mm. um, because I didn't want to, you know, over, overstep any boundaries. Um, I was, you know, an obedient kid in my household. Mm-hmm. And so I took that with me, you know, outside my household. And so these little cues that you get, they, they have lasting impact on yeah. you. And it's not until I got older, it's not until 
I get into my teenage years and um, I start learning more and then I start reading more and I start understanding just exactly how these microaggressions get revealed and how they come, how they present themselves. That's when I started to realize like, oh, wow, I was being trained. Like mm. I was being trained early on by that white dad to not look at his white daughter. Mm. Um, and so that, that's the type of shit that now that I'm 24 and, you know, I made up my mind years ago when I was in my teens that like, I wouldn't let myself get bullied anymore, both on a mm -hmm. personal level, but then I also felt on a societal level, I was, I was not going to let myself get bullied. And so to continue to see these events play out, um, it just feels like, like you said at the beginning, like we're getting punked, we're getting bullied again. Um, and for a lot of us, that doesn't sit well. No. For a lot of us, self-preservation is what kicks in when you feel like you're getting bullied and when yeah. you're constantly getting beaten down and when you're constantly um, on the wrong end of some injustices. Self-preservation is the thing that kicks in. And so as a, as a culture, as an ethnicity, as a racial group, when you constantly see your brothers and sisters being targeted, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, so this is about survival. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I, I agree with you on that. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because you, you mentioned, you know, being 24 years of age. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder about that, um, you know, with you and, and with Justin and, and I happened to have a conversation with Justin yesterday and, you know, for the people that don't know that listen to this, uh, my youngest son lives in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about everything that was going on yesterday and he's kind of been on lockdown and they had some protests in Los Angeles yesterday around what happened in Minnesota. And I think, uh, unfortunately, you're going to see much more of that going on around the country unless uh, and until um, the, the uh, powers that be, what's that? Justice is served. Yeah. That's the, that's the bottom line. Right. And, you know, because look, you know, if they, there was a video on you standing or, or having your knee on somebody's neck and they died or me or, or everybody really in, 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 in society, um, there would have been an arrest made already. Right. But because it's police officers, it comes up with, oh, we have to do this thorough investigation. Now we can't necessarily count on their reports because we know their reports, you know, leave out a whole lot of things all of the time. But the point is, you know, I was talking to Justin and I was just basically telling him, like, yeah, you know, as this, as this stuff progresses, like, be careful. You know, you guys weren't alive uh, when the Los Angeles riots happened after the riot, Rodney King verdict took place. And it gets kind of, you know, it's nasty and it's dangerous. And so it, it's, it's really unfortunate. But as a young person of 24, you know, years of age, I mean, obviously, you know, wasn't that long ago, before, you know, that you got your driver's license. You want to share with everybody kind of the conversations that were being had around the time that you started driving uh, between, between you and I? Sure. I mean, we can get into the specifics of it from everything from if you're approached by police, you taught me the protocol, turn on the, uh, the lights, you know, in the inside of the car, make sure that I, all my, my hands are completely visible. Um, so putting those on the front, uh, on the steering wheel and not making any sudden movements. I mean, things that are like things you, you I, I think back on it now and it's like, you're almost training me how to be a hostage 
<laughs> oh wow it, in your car I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah in my own car you know it's like it's like don't make any sudden movements keep your hands visible turn on the lights so ask for permission to get the registration out of the glove compartment yeah exactly things. exactly and it's like damn i'm in my own car driving i could be going to work or something um i mean I, you know and then and then the the underlying message of how to conduct yourself with police as a black man is to try to defuse the situation. Correct. And like that is your that is your motive before it even before they even approach the car is like how can you defuse this situation so that it doesn't escalate? And like you said, not because I'm a wild out, but because when that officer walks up to my window, his hand is already on his gun. Mm-hmm. So from Jump Street, he's already prepared to f- pull out his gun and fire if he feels threatened. Yeah, if he and, feels threatening or threatened, or if he perceives a threat, uh, right. or if, you know if they if he does do it, you know, then the automatic line is, "I felt threatened." That that's right. the go-to line. Right, which is is mind boggling to me because you, you jumped into a profession where you were going to deal with numerous threats. And so do you kill everybody that you like, as soon as you pull up to a scene and you can tell like, Oh, something's going on. You just start shooting because you feel threatened or do you actually analyze because like, that's your job is to protect and serve. And so do you actually have the ability to, analyze what's going on, have a conversation. Can you defuse a situation? I mean, that's kind of- Well, that's part, I mean, that should be, you know, as the professional, you know, it is your job to defuse the situation. And as I mentioned earlier uh, in this conversation, you know, having some relatives that have been in law enforcement, knowing people that have been in law enforcement, I readily acknowledge, uh, and I always have, that they have uh, an extremely, extremely, tough job now nobody forces you to become a a police officer nobody says well you know you're going to be a police officer you have to be a police officer but it's incredibly stressful it's incredibly difficult you're dealing with um crazies horrible uh circumstances and situations and horrible people and horrible criminals and and it's very stressful and you want to go home to your family at nighttime too totally get that i i guess my issue really tends to be and again not broad brushing not all but you know how these things get escalated like in minnesota there's so much video from the time they took this guy out of his car to the time this guy's uh knee is on his neck like this dude didn't do anything to warrant you doing this and so it's just a matter of you just feeling like well i have the superiority and the supremacy over you and i can do this and no one can do anything about it and so that that's that's the frightening thing. Uh, that's the frightening thing for me. You know, there was a there was a um, there was something I told you and Justin all the time when you would go to the store. You know, I would always tell you guys to um, touch with your eyes and not with your hands. Do you remember that? Absolutely. <laughs> Did you know what I meant at the time? I mean, you know, you know what I mean now and why I mean why I meant it then. But what did you think at the time? I mean, I kind of thought you were crazy. I didn't know. 
No, I didn't know for the longest. I mean, I don't even know when it when it dawned on me what you were talking about. But, um, you know, now, obviously, you were trying to make sure that we didn't put ourselves in any predicaments. Yeah. Because of uh, somebody either misconstruing that we were stealing something just because we grabbed something at the grocery store or, um, you know, somebody falsely accusing yep. us of doing anything wrong. And so it was always like, you know, it was always like limit how you could be perceived as a criminal, which is the unfortunate thing that black people in America have to continue to do is, um, is always like, alter our perception for white people mm. to make white people feel more comfortable. Mm. And so, um, you know, not sounding angry, but sounding sad or fearful, um, you know, makes white people feel more comfortable. Um, I think that all of these things kind of, they, they feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the biggest thing is is really the covert institutional racism that is passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. It is the looks. It is, you know, the the people following you around the store. I didn't even talk about the story of me getting followed around the store in San Francisco when I was 11 years old and we were at that AAU tournament. Mm. And me and Preston walked into the bike shop to look at some bikes and the bike shop owner with like 12 other people in the bike shop just started following us around. Mm. And so again, you have, like, your, you have your uni on, man. Did, did you were you sporting your Pharaoh's gear? I was representing, and uh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> he didn't care. <laughs> so um, he didn't recognize that I had too much to lose being a Pharaoh. <laughs> I'm just playing, but um, in all seriousness, and we'll wrap this up. You know, I, I, it is incredibly unfortunate, and it's going to take a full societal effort to continue Mm -hmm. down this ugliness to continue to break down the racism um to continue to acknowledge those to especially to those that um fail to realize because that's just as as dangerous as those um kind of producing these heinous acts Mm -hmm. it's the others that fail to realize that they exist and continue to bubble and shield themselves from this reality or make excuses for it or make excuses and if you don't make excuses for it but you don't say anything and speak out against it then you know you're not you're not helping the situation my grandmother used to always say you know um if you're not part of the solution then you are the problem not Mm. if you're not part of the solution then you're part of the problem she said you are the problem Mm. And and I agree with you on that. I, I, I'll end my portion of this by just saying, you know, I am uh, optimistic and hopeful for your generation and the generation behind you a little bit, that it's a more uh, diverse, a, a more inclusive generation that I see, that I see with you and your friends, Justin and his friends. Um, I think that there's more hope coming down the line. I truly, truly do. Don't know if I'll be around to see major changes take place in that, but I, but I am optimistic um, uh, for the future because of, of the gen, because of your generation and the generation that follows. And so mm-hmm. that's where I, you know, that, that, that makes me, that makes me feel better 
about things. But uh, yeah. Well, on that note, until next time, everybody, please stay positive. Please love someone, tell someone that you love, that you love them. And we'll talk to you all later. Take care, everybody.